You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 128 for Monday, the 19th of November, 2018. My guest today is Tim Lewis, a self-published author from London, who this year made the change from writing fiction to non-fiction. Previously, he's written in the science fiction and fantasy genres, and to date has produced three books in the Time Shock series and two books in the Magpies and Magic series. His first non-fiction title is called Social Media Networking, How to Use Social Media to Get the Job You Want, Find Love, Get Business Success, and Boost Your Travel Experience. Tim is also the host of the Begin Self-Publishing podcast, and having interviewed many guests about marketing best practices, he put several of those lessons into action with his latest book launch. When we caught up for the podcast, I asked him why he'd made the switch from fiction to non-fiction. I think it was really my interests were changing. Um, I mean, I've seen this with other people who have done um, self-publishing. I started off with like, oh, wouldn't it be a nice idea to self-publish some of my fiction works? And the more I got into the business side of trying to do self-publishing, and especially marketing, and social media, I kind of fell in love with the, <laughs> the business elements uh, and social media more than my actual interest in writing fiction. Uh, I do love writing fiction, but on the other hand, uh, to be brutally honest, I think there are a lot of people who are better at writing fiction than I am. And people like yourself who are prepared and kind of have the mindset to do kind of industrial uh, level kind of fiction writing. So, I mean, you're churning out books left, right, and centre. I know you're taking a bit of a break at the moment, but your output rate is like is the the level necessary to be kind of really successful on the fiction side. Uh, well, I was kind of like doing basically one book a year, um, which is I was getting done in NaNoWriMo. And uh, that's uh, it's not really what you need for fiction. Um, and the other reason I suppose I have switched over to nonfiction is that I've realised, and I think that a lot of other people have, that there are so many more opportunities to make money apart from the books in the related areas. So things like speaking gigs and doing training and all the rest of it. Which, I mean, you can't really, I suppose you could run a therapy session based on people who are affected by the secret bunker or something and charge people for that. But in the main, your main source of income is going to be from the fiction books. And I'm probably more the kind of person who would enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy teaching people. I enjoy that kind of stuff. So it makes a lot more sense for me to write fiction about subjects that I'm really interested in, like social media and the way that social media has transformed people's lives. And so presumably then, coming from fiction, this was a complete breeze for you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I that was had, a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I still had the, the uh, dreadful procrastination tendencies that I had. So this book... Um, one thing I would say 
uh, is that this book has been a phenomenally good idea. Uh, I've been validated in that by the response from all the people who've read it and the people who've been involved in the project. Uh, I haven't executed it necessarily as well as I should have done, but I think the book has been a success for the, the standards that I have set it in as much as giving the, me the opportunity to say, to speaking about social media and uh, making connections and that kind of stuff. Um, but yes, I mean, the background of the project is that I started off with this idea that I was going to write a book about how to use social media uh, to basically make connections with people and, and then get opportunities based on those connections rather than the usual, like, here's your online sales funnel solution and you post this thing on Facebook and then you get 10 million people like your post and then they're all buying your book or product or whatever. I was much more interested about people who've got things like jobs and found love and got speaking gigs and just got various business opportunities from connections they've made on social media. Uh, so I was going to write that book. And then I was talking on my podcast, uh, the Begin Self-Publishing podcast, which you've mentioned a few times on this show and you've appeared quite a few times on, on that show yourself. Uh, I was talking to a guest, Claire Yoza. Uh, she's sort of a mindset coach. And she was saying, well, if you want any case studies, then you can talk to me because I, I basically she organized this uh, EU VAT campaign group largely based on social media. And I was thinking, like, mm, case studies, that's a good idea. So kind of apropos to nothing, I put a post on Facebook saying, like, I'm looking for people who meet these four criteria and it's basically one of them as people finding sort of getting job opportunities or getting promotions, finding love, finding speaking gigs, having improved travel experience, that kind of thing. And I was expecting like three or four responses. I had like 45 responses, I think, in the end to that post of people saying like, oh, I'd like to be interviewed. Uh, and now in the end, I only ended up interviewing uh, 21 people. One person dropped out just before the book was about to go live, which is, an, is another issue. Uh, but I basically did audio interviews with those people uh, and asked them the four questions and those answers that applied. And I took the best answer from each person, and that forms a chapter in the middle of the book. And then the outside of the book is my introduction to the interviews and then my lessons learned about how to do social media networking at the end of the book. Uh, so the big problem was I did the interviews and then I started foolishly editing the audio myself for those interviews, thinking that I was going to create an audio book first. Uh, now, it turned out that I was just too big a project uh, and it, it, it frightened me so much I just didn't do anything on it for about like three months. Uh, now, in the end, I got to the point where I was like, well, I've got to set myself a deadline. So I set it on amazon pre-order which is only like uh, 90 days um and in that period of time i basically got all the interviews transcribed then quickly wrote the beginning and the end got it all edited and just out of time just out the door just in the nick of time uh so that's kind of the the way i managed to beat the procrastination bug i just basically put it on pre-order and uh stamped my feet and had a mad panic and basically got it done just in time. I'm interested about the practicalities of this. Did you have to get 
um, sort of contract signed with the people that you interviewed to say it's fine for me to transcribe this and then flog the book and make money from it. Did you have anybody asking you for their cut or anything like that? Um, well, this time I did. Um, I actually went to as a solicitor. I found through the Alliance of Independent Authors, he's fairly cheap for getting contract work done. And I said to him, well, this is what I'm planning to do. I do want to like a book release form. So I used, I embedded that in a schedule once calendar so that when people signed up, they had to click a button to say that they approved of uh, the fact that I basically owned all the rights to the interview and could do more or less what the hell I like with it under British law. Uh, strictly speaking, I all owe them one pound because uh, for some reason or other, and I'm not entirely sure about the legality and why this is the case, but it, there had to be some sort of monetary value in it. So uh, I haven't paid any of these people yet, uh, I, especially as a load of them are in the US, uh, but I will get around to paying them their pound. Uh, some people spotted it and said, can I have my pound? <laughs> but yeah, I basically, as part of that, when they booked the interview, I, I basically sent them a booking link, like, like for this show, I, I think you use Schedule once as well. It's a booking I software. Um, I changed the template. You can play it, pay extra and change the template, and I embedded the contract in that template uh, so that when they booked it, I got a copy of them them signing it, and that works as a legal agreement. So, in effect, I, even the person who backed out the project, I could have published his chapter if I wanted to, but I didn't because I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I basically have, by by clicking that, they signed away the rights. And that was just because, I mean, for all my podcast interviews, I've never had a, a legal agreement with people. Uh, and people have gone and like, tried to repurpose the interviews and all sorts of stuff. But I think there's something where it's a paid product. You have to really do some kind of contract or else you're leaving yourself open to being sued. And nobody wants that. Absolutely, no. So, um, having written the book, you became a number one bestseller. So I take it you'll be retiring soon? Uh, well, one of those statements is true. <laughs> uh, now, yeah, I mean, you you know, you, brought, you know the story already, but uh, I, I've interviewed this guy, Alex Newton, or Alex Niehaus, who runs the Calytics uh, service. He basically... His company creates reports of various categories on uh, on Amazon ebooks store and how easy and hard they are. So before I was doing the book, I was like, kind of like, well, I really want to chart in a category really highly if I can. And I know from experience, there's lots of easy categories out there to to sell your books uh, in. So I kind of leaned on him and said, well, can you can you kind of just run a report for me on this? And, and he said yes, and I was amazed. Uh, one of the categories that he came up with was because my book has a chapter about where i visited wichita which is in kansas in the u.s um well actually i mean he didn't know this but he just sent me like because your book has something to do with travel there's all of these individual categories for each individual u.s state in the american ebook store uh, so I thought long and hard about this because it's like, well, it is kind of relevant to the book. There is one chapter where I talk about this. Um, and I've seen books where people are put in totally irrelevant categories <laughs> that are nothing to do with the book. So I'm thinking like, well, yeah, kind of. But I basically put my book in United Sta uh, in Travel, United States, Kansas as one of the categories. Uh, which you actually have to go through KDP support to do. I gave them a whole load of categories 
Uh, there's quite a few social media categories as well. Because uh, my book's about like all sorts of areas. It's about you could go in potentially in recruitment. It could go in sort of speaking at business. It can go in travel. It's it's about all sorts of topics because uh, of the nature of the book. Uh, so, yes, I put it into the Kansas travel section, and I was happily number one with about five ebook sales on the launch day. <laughs> uh, and I took loads of screenshots of the fact that I was a number one Amazon bestseller. Uh, yeah, I think it's even with like a few days with hardly any sales, I think it's still number seven in the Kansas travel category. It's not exactly the most competitive category in the world. <laughs> It makes for a great screenshot. But I, I, I've been very interested following this launch because uh, a lot of these ideas and concepts I think you've discussed with people in your podcast. And then it's very interesting to, to go to a launch with that knowledge. And then effectively, as you've done in that category, to, to manipulate the situation, to get the screenshot of you at number one and, and to, to, to do you know the fancy marketing tricks, um, which you seem to have sort of followed that to the letter almost. Well, I mean, I think that I think I could have done things a lot better, to be honest. Uh, I think setting myself such a tough like, pre-order deadline uh, meant that a lot of the things that I probably should have done in terms of coordinating all the interviewees and their particular marketing push, because a lot of them are very big like list, email lists and social media following and all the rest of it. I think that could have been handled. I could have handled that a lot better. Um, I mean, yeah, you're a big email aficionado. And the great thing about an email list is that you can really guarantee when people are going to see it uh, over and above social. Social media is actually very powerful for this kind of thing. And certainly the word of mouth uh, that you get on social media. But the trouble with, like, say, a Facebook or a LinkedIn or Twitter posts, you don't really know when anybody's going to see the post um, or if they're going to see it or are going to do it at the right time. Where If somebody sees something in their email list, then that makes a bigger difference, I think. Um, so I would have looked probably more, if I was doing the project again, I would have actually got in touch with all the people I interviewed in the sort of pre-release period and basically try to get them to get people to sign up to an email list to be notified when the book was available, uh, maybe like offering some sort of freebie or discount or something along those lines, just to be able to get, because uh, like, it's all about like nonfiction, especially it's all about getting those surge of sales to get you into a chart so that other people can see it within the store. Um, I mean, Amazon is a marketing machine itself. Um, the actual Amazon engine in the, certainly for the ebook side, I mean, the irony of this book, again, from, me, from my own personal point of view, is that it's selling so well in paperback, but it's not selling so well in ebook. And I'm kind of used to the opposite, like things selling on ebook and not really selling in paperback. Uh, oh, but I found that with my MailChimp book. You've probably heard me talking on the yeah. diaries about that. That I, I've been making, I, and I've ignored it because it, it, but it's been bringing in a really good amount every month, and I, I have, it's been sort of left of field to me to a certain extent because I just don't expect my paperbacks to bring any money in. But it sells best in paperback, and also I price it higher because it's nonfiction as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, bizarrely, Amazon have started discounting my book though, which is a bit annoying in, in the UK. But I actually had somebody messaged me on twitter like yesterday saying like can you how much do i have to pay for a signed copy of your book and i'm like okay well i basically sent him a paypal link uh and said like well give me your address and i'll send you a copy so 
the paperback is doing really well. And I've like, I had sold about like 17 copies of the book, uh, at a conference in Nottingham. Um, cause I go to loads of these social media conferences and I know people and it's, it's been great for like hand selling. Uh, so it's just a completely different kind of, uh, nobody's remotely interested in the paperback versions. Of my, I mean, I, I struggle to give away copies of my, uh, fiction book, but people are really keen on, uh, even buying the, uh, uh, social media networking book so that has been a bit of a change i really wish though that they would buy it uh as ebooks because the non-fiction categories aren't really that competitive compared to the fiction ones uh, unless you're writing something like sort of cyberpunk or some really weird kind of rodeo romance there aren't the sillyly easy categories there are in non-fiction for uh for fiction but i i think that um with paperbacks uh, and non-fiction you, you you kind of you need it because you need to be scribbling on it and marking things with mm. non-fiction whereas fictions are very different so I think you know fiction's made for expensive paperbacks I think and I mean you probably heard me sort of saying you know I, I need to find a vibe for non-fiction because uh, I think it's easier to write I don't know whether you agree with that having written fiction I think it's way easier to write um, non-fiction yeah I'd say that I mean I wrote um the introduction and the back of the book, um, I wrote pretty quickly, really, uh, partly because I had to. But no, I wrote it a lot quicker than I would a uh, a fiction book. Um, and people expect longer. I mean, people actually expect a lot more from fiction than nonfiction. Uh, I mean, God knows how many <laughs> mistakes are still in the book. I mean, I think I got rid of most of them. Uh, but on fiction, like people like pull you apart for like the smallest kind of uh, grammar or other errors. When non-fiction, people seem a lot more forgiving in a way. Uh, that's something else I've noticed uh, going this way. Because in non-fiction, people kind of remember much more about what the book gave them. And it could be just like one or two big lessons that the book gives them. And they will appreciate that. When well, fiction, it's kind of... Um, it's quite hard to get that sort of difference that you can get in a non-fiction book where you're, you're giving something different to people. Uh, while in fiction, it's kind of like, oh, you've got your own distinctive voice, but you are got people, re- and people read a lot more fiction, I suppose. That's kind of like they're comparing it to a lot more. Where in non-fiction, there are some, I mean, I read a lot of non-fiction, but I suspect most people are reading like sort of one book a month at the most in non-fiction usually. Yeah, I think you. I think with nonfiction, you're mining it for nuggets, effectively yeah. stuff that you could do something with, um, and and really, and really, the voice, the author voice, is is generally well. You might put a bit of personality in, in terms of humour, for instance, but generally, it's a fairly straight voice, isn't it? I think in, in nonfiction. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like I listen to a lot of nonfiction audio books, and it's funny if you the order that you approach a book. Uh, in terms of how you listen to it, can make a lot of difference. Because, uh, um, like, for example, I mean, I've heard you talk about, I think it was you, your podcast, you were talking about the book The One Thing by Gary Keller. Yes, yes. Uh, now, if you listen to that book, um, like, and you've never heard anything about this kind of focus thing, then it sounds the most, I mean, it's actually a very good book anyway. I'm not going to sort of... But there are other books like The Slight Edge and The Compound Effect and other... If you've listened to loads of those other books which talk about similar topics, about focusing on one one item, then if you listen to that book after it, it's not as quite as good because you're kind of like, well, this is like you know, the same sort of thing, sort of thing. 
Uh, and but it's just saying like people are not necessarily. You may be when you give a non-fiction book, you may be the, the people reading your book may have know nothing about the topic, and a lot of the time people buy a book because they know nothing about the topic. So, you your book, even if it's kind of worse than most of the other books on the market, can still be successful because you, as long as you do a decent job of introducing people to the topic and they can get the point you're making, uh, even if there are other books that are a lot better at doing that, then they'll probably read your book and they may not read any other books on the topic at all because they feel that your book has satisfied their need. So that's kind of something where I think nonfiction can be quite forgiving uh, for from a writing point of view. Now, I guess with all those interviews in the pot, the audio interviews, the sensible thing would be to create an audio book of the speakers <laughs> yeah. doing their thing. So so what were your plans with that? Well, the trouble was that um, even though I kind of knew this at the beginning, I was not disciplined enough about ensuring that the audio quality was high enough for the interviews. So... Um, I mean, I do podcast interviews, and I'm usually pretty good with them. But I wasn't quite sure what I was doing at the beginning. I wasn't. I kind of had this audio first idea after doing the, <laughs> after starting the interviews. And I had a couple of. I had one guy who was driving across Canada, uh, and it's basically like clicking noises and all sorts of weird stuff. Uh, and the level of quality that Audible wants, uh, which is the biggest show in town for audio books. It, I'm almost certain. I mean, I'm not tried it to be found. I'm going to try this with the audio book uh, self-publishing guides that I've done on my podcast when I get around to it. Uh, I'm going to take that and generate an audio book from that, from those podcast episodes, because I, I think the audio quality of them is good enough. Uh, but some of the original interviews, there's like people coughing and looking at the audible guidelines, I suspect that they, they wouldn't allow that audio in. And then I've either got to go back and get them to re-record it, or I can do my own kind of voiceover bit, <laughs> voice the interview, which will be a bit strange. Or I can try and go in and, and get somebody to try and audio, edit the audio. But I'm fairly good at audio editing, and I know some of these things are just really hard to fix. So that was ultimately the reason why I kind of... I, I may well still have a go at trying to create the audio book um, because I may even get people just audio, re-record bits because I still know most of the people I interviewed quite well. But, yeah, it was a much bigger project than I, uh, than I envisaged uh, doing an audio book first because I think it would be cool to have basically just the audio of the original people saying it in the audio book. But that is... Um, that is not something that really Audible encourages. Um, I could – the other option, of course, is to release it on the other platforms and release it on my website as a download. But then you've got all of these other issues with maybe having to go through Payhip or something like that. And I may do that as an as an option. I may maybe just have, like, a Payhip version with the audio files and people can buy that with the original audio and they'll have to put up with the dogs barking and uh, laughing and <laughs> indicators <laughs> and all the rest of it. Um, because I think actually these sort of audio book first projects could be very entertaining to listen to, but with the current sort of audio book uh, environment, which is a little bit snobby really at the end of the day, and the biggest show in town is audible. I'm not sure that it's necessarily the great, greatest way to go. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I'm getting on very well. 
with PayHip, by the way, at the moment, uh, you know, as a payment processor. Yeah. So um, don't don't fear doing that. What, what about you? Um, is there enough of the book with you in it for you to sort of do a read on it? Um, well, I've got to read. I mean, I, I didn't do. Um, I just wrote the, the beginning and the end. So I need to read them anyway. Uh, so I really didn't do the audio book first. Concept. That was my original idea was I was just going to record the audio of everything, my parts at the beginning and end. But it's just time wise, I ran out of time to do that. And it was quicker for me to just write it. Um, so I could potentially just read the whole thing. But it would feel a little weird reading. I could try and throw like my voice in particular ways. Oh, I could, I could get voice actors in. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean doing funny voice. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, so you've literally just done the beginning and the end. So everything else is transcription. Is that's really what I was yeah. written enough? Yeah. Because because you said you'd selected from the interviews. I wondered whether there was quite quite a lot of you framing the interviews, and then, but but you've, they're quite substantial. Presumably, there are chapters worth of audio when you say you've extracted from the audio. Oh well, yeah. I mean, actually, the original interviews are probably about two or three times. So I've the actual audio that's transcribed in the book, uh, which I've tra- I've edited again. Uh, I've got it like because you don't realise how different speeches from. Uh, from written work. I mean, I've I've been fairly light touch, but even so, there are things where you do need to edit it. But I I I, I just took the best. Um, so I asked everybody basically four questions about four categories, and some people gave multiple answers. But I've only taken one of. So I basically chopped a bit of the audio for one of those answers for everybody in, who I've interviewed. So there is like two thirds of the audio, which is still quite good audio and decent stuff that didn't make it to the book. So um, there's a lot of bonus material potential there. It might make an interesting um, sort of automated email sequence that you could pay people for too. You know, rather than deliver it as one thing, you could maybe have um, an automation sequence that maybe people pay for, you know, and and, uh, and get 20 or 21 emails with short bursts of audio and something like that. That might be a way of of monetizing yeah, that. that's not a bad idea. Um, I mean, this is the thing that I think this kind of, I, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, I've been calling it a compendium book. But I don't think that's really what it's, but where you've got multiple contrib- contributors. Uh, originally, I saw this uh, this idea in this guy years ago when I was like in software development and he did like his 99 tips for better software development. And he was basically just interviewed like 99 people and did like a page on each of them. Um, I think that kind of like joint contributor book can be extremely successful, especially if the people you've included have got an audience or got like, uh, because, I mean, this is the, uh, another thing that I really underestimated, uh, because I've been an old hand and I've written like all these books and the rest of it. I've got very blase to the fact that people are still very impressed when they are featured in a book, uh, especially when you include people's photographs. Um, I mean, some of the people who've been featured in my book just love the fact that they are featured in a book. Uh, some of them are like, yeah, whatever. But at least half of them are very, very happy with that. And they're kind of like, uh, and certainly this conference I went to, there were, I mean, the three books I didn't, I took 20 books with me. The three books I didn't sell, I gave to people who were in the book because I said, well, I give everybody a free copy who's in the book. And they, like, honestly, the people there were overjoyed that they are in the book. Because it, they can go to their sort of family and their sense and say, look, I'm in the book. And 
I, I just kind of, because I got so cynical and grumpy and old and the rest of it, I, I just totally overlooked the joy that that gives people. So I think these kind of books, if you can find the right topic, uh, can be extremely powerful as a way to get into self-publishing because you are basically helping other people to get their dream of appearing in the book. Uh, they're helping you by publicizing it. And, and it's a great concept uh, for, for nonfiction to do kind of like, I mean, it's a, I suppose it's the equivalent of the kind of the box set idea for fiction, but it's a lot more powerful because these are people who are not basically just other authors. These are people who can be just basically anybody really at the end of the day. Uh, and you are able to tap into their family and friends and their kind of audience if they're more famous. Uh, and I think it is a great concept. I, I don't think I really ex- executed the project as well as I could have done, but I'm just glad that I managed to actually execute the project at all. <laughs> <Anyways>. <laughs> the first book I ever did, this was before my internet scam period and before actually turning straight, you know, going straight and doing it properly, is um, I produced a, an interview book. I think it had about 15, maybe 20 interviews in it. And it was a project that a, a friend and I produced. We just needed something to build the value of a of a uh, service we were offering and we turned it around in, in record time but we both realized we'd done as internet marketers we'd interview loads of kind of people who were doing great things in internet marketing and so we just very quickly got them all transcribed you know bunged them all together created like you a bit of content around it put a cover on it and we had a book in no time it's a, it is uh, an incredibly dare i say easy but it is a brilliant model um uh, for a book and why i was watching what you did is I, I thought your marketing on it was inspired the way that you've got all the the faces of the interviewees and then on social media you've put a big arrow next to the person that you're talking about on that day and that in, in turn be, um, you know they will socially retweet it if they're the person of the day I thought there were some really nice little marketing techniques in that oh yeah I mean that is I mean I schedule I mean it's still running at the moment I need to refresh it a bit actually uh, but I went through and basically created 20 copies there's 20 people interviewed in the book uh and i created a graphic with all of them and then in canva every internet marketer's friend <laughs> canva.com i went through and i would create a big arrow pointing to those make their picture a bit bigger and then save another copy i mean that took a little while to do but it doesn't actually take very long to schedule a series of tweets or facebook posts uh, i need to set up the instagram ones actually as well um, and it, it, you're calling out the people, they're overjoyed to be able to tell people again that they're in the book. And it does, I mean, I, I don't know how much it, actual in terms of sales it makes, but it certainly, it makes the people in the book feel better. Um, it, it keeps up the profile of the book because for me, a lot of the, a lot of the benefit for the book for me is things like being able to go for speaking gigs and saying like, at the authority of the book and if people keep mentioning the book even if they're not people aren't going out and buying the book then that's good for me in terms of just keeping that kind of interest alive um over but the trouble is to say in social you can never really ever tell you get i get the odd sale here and there i think from social media but you don't get the big surges you would like if you had an email blast for example Mm. And, and you've touched on that point of expert positioning too, because as a podcast host who talks about this stuff a lot, I mean, you know, it, it must have, you know, whether you do it again or not, it must have a huge ongoing and long-term benefit for you. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, one thing that I, 
One thing that I would like to get around to doing, and I, <laughs> I've talked about this on my podcast, but I've never done it. I do it for the podcast, is having like a step, step-by-step, basically, set of things to do for the podcast when you release. Um, so, for example, a mistake I made with this book, uh, which I've basically been trying to sort out over the weekend, was that I didn't go onto Goodreads and create the book under my author profile. So when I come back from my uh, long jolly in the US <laughs> lately, I think, oh, God, I've got to create the book on Goodreads. And I go and discover somebody else has created the book on Goodreads and assigned it to the wrong author, uh, a totally different Tim Lewis who's a pastor in Oklahoma. <laughs> Uh, and it's got reviews, your career, yeah. It's got reviews on it as well, which is <laughs> annoying because nobody's reviewed it on Amazon. Not um, enough religion. <laughs> so... Uh, if you go on Goodreads at the moment, I've got them to set it to my other author. But my other author, no, other books are under the name Timothy Michael Lewis. Um, so I, I've got to work out how the hell I can create a separate persona for Tim Lewis. And then I've got to get them to change it again. And I'm like, oh. It, so if I had like a checklist of this is what you do when you release a book, I would have go. One of the first things is like create the book on, on Goodreads. Uh, I mean, another mistake I made was, and this doesn't sound like a uh, a mistake, um, and it isn't in some ways, but it would have helped with the Goodreads situation. I think was that I didn't I didn't assign an ISBN for the for the ebook version. Now I think if I had assigned an ISBN for the ebook version, then that that rogue image in uh, Goodreads wouldn't have been created because it would have picked up my author details from my. Uh, ISBN number for the ebook version, um, but somehow it all just got screwed up and ended up to some other. I mean, I have no idea how Goodreads. I think you, on Goodreads, when you review a book, if it doesn't exist, it lets you create it, and that then you're up the whim of whoever the first person to review it or rate it was. Um, but the reason why I would have assigned an I, uh, ISBN to the ebook version is that on published drives, some of the retailers need ebooks. Uh, like need an ISBN number. Um, I think that maybe even the Chinese ones. So I've can't and it won't let you go and amend it later to add an ISBN number. So I've kind of like I'm going to Google Play and uh, I think some of the other companies, but there are ones I'm missing on Publish Drive because I haven't got an ISBN number for the book. How are you getting on with Publish Drive? Just out of interest, did you have the option to go direct to Google Play? Or did you have to go through Publish Drive to get to Google Play? I've never been able to go through direct to Google Play, so I've always gone through Publish Drive. Um, no, I mean, I, I like the guy. I mean, I hung out with the people at Publish Drive. I know them quite well at <laughs> Digital Book World. Um, I haven't really sold that. I, I think I've sold exactly zero copies of the book on uh, Publish Drive. Uh, I, I haven't really gone, I haven't really had any ebook sales at all for this book anywhere apart from Amazon. Uh, I've gone direct with Kobo. Uh, and the reason for that is that I intend at some point to run a promotion on Kobo using their promotions tab. Um, the great thing about Kobo is that uh, they really do favor, favor higher-priced uh, e-books. Um, so given that I've slightly, on the e-book side, I think I priced it about four ninety nine or five ninety nine uh, in dollars. Um, that means I've got potential for doing one of these sort of Kobo uh, promotion uh, things because I've used the, the free promotions on Kobo and they've been very effective in the past for my other books, but I've just never been able to do the paid ones because my books haven't been priced high enough. 
so that's why I've gone direct with Kobo. Uh, but I haven't really sold any copies on Kobo either. So, um, but for public, I've, I've basically done published drive of everything else. I used to do or my other books. I've used draft to digital, but just to make my life easier. So it's basically Amazon, Kobo, and then published drive for all the other all the other uh, retailers. I, I'm struggling with Kobo at the moment. I'm interested that you're saying about pricing higher because I've I've shifted uh, over ten thousand books on Kobo now, and I'm just making nothing from it. You know, it just like that ought to be exciting, didn't it? But it's not at all. And and I just I can't work out why with that number of you know shifting that number of books, why I'm just not making exciting money from Kobo yet. So do you think the the, the secrets to price to price high, not like you would on Amazon? Well. Um... You should be making money from Kobo. I mean, I've made uh, some stages for my fiction books. I've made more money on Kobo in a month than I have from Amazon. But, I mean, these are very low numbers. <laughs> um, so I'm all I can think was I would check your pricing on Kobo because you can set like prices on an individual country basis. And I'm just wondering if you've got um, like some country where you realise it ridiculously cheap. And uh, it's selling loads of copies there. And then uh, when you actually translate it into pounds, you, you get in nothing or something along those lines. Uh, but you should be able to roughly work out how many, uh, how, how much you should be earning. Because um, I've, I've always found Kobo relatively straightforward as a platform. I always like their map and everything. Uh, well, I know you've had like vast amounts of difficulties with Kobo in the past, and I'm like, well, that's always been the easiest platform for me in terms of setting it up. So uh, it's it's always interesting how people have different experiences on self-publishing. Well, that that brings us to uh, an interesting topic because the I had terrible trouble with Kobo until I started using Vellum. And uh, I know that you have a vellum experience that you uh, need to get off your chest with this latest book that you've written. Yeah, well, this is funny. I mean, I basically uh, I thought, well, I've got, I've got. I, originally, for the pre-order, uh, I just did it kind of from Scrivener directly. I created the ebook, but then I was like, well, I really want to create a paperback, and I can't. It's such a pain in the neck trying to create a paperback in Word uh, directly. So what I did was I thought, oh, well, I'll follow Teague's instructions. Cause I got, well, actually, first of all, I tried to get my old MacBook Airbook updated, and then I found that it was too old to have the latest operating system, and then it basically just crashed. And it's like my old Mac Airbook from 2010 is now just a heap of junk because it won't boot anywhere and it won't do anything. So I was like, well, okay, I'll go to Paul Teague's instructions on the Mac in the Box thing. Uh, the whole Mac in the Box thing works quite well. But when I went to – because I had the structure of a book where I had basically – I have an introductory section with, with chapters within it, and then I have the interview section, but they've got subsections within them, and then they've got chapters within the interviews. Where Every time I try to go from Scrivener to – uh, to vellum, it just would not format it properly, and I could just. There's only a limited amount of editing you can do within vellum in terms of moving stuff around, um, and I just could not get the book to, to format in the correct way. Uh, part of the problem was that um, you go to the vellum help, and it says from Scrivener you can click check this box, and it will format in a vellum format, but that box isn't available on the PC version of Scrivener. Um, it, there's a new version of Scrivener that's only available on the Mac. 
Um, I think if I'd been able to tick that box, it would have sorted the problem out for me. Uh, so I got in a big half, and I was like, uh, this poor Teague bloke, he's a charlatan. I'm not gonna... <laughs> Internet uh, scammer. That's internet scammer. It's like, this This. This would be perfect for my other books, which have a flatter structure, but this one, it's a pain in the neck. So I basically emailed and tweeted Vellum in a half, and they did get back to me and basically said, you need to create the book as if it's in a box set. Yep. So... I think there's a volume level. So I basically went through and, um, yeah, I reformatted in that way and said it's like it's a box set. Uh, and that works. Uh, and then I'm kind of like, now I do really love Vellum, to be honest. It is really, really straightforward for creating uh, for creating paperback books uh, and ebooks. So I can see why you love it, but it's just one of those, there's a little bit of a my way or the highway thing about Vellum that if you've got, if you haven't quite quite got the right format, you've got a weirdly structured book. It can be a bit strange in that regard, but um, I suspect they probably have. And we were talking in the pre-chat. Probably there were other ways to do it, and I suspect this this little checkbox on Scrivener actually existed on the PC version, uh, and I think it might have worked anyway. But they haven't yet released that version of Scrivener on the PC. It's still only available on the Mac. Uh, so I have I've used it because I had to do a. I did a vellum demonstration um, at something in Scotland. I forgot, no, sorry, yeah. the Novel Society. And so I had to use, reluctantly, uh, I had to take my wife's Mac, which was my old Mac before I learned to hate them. Um, and I had to take that Mac up with me. And um, while we were talking about it, I said, actually, well, Scrivener has got this um, in, on Mac version, has got this now. And it has, and actually it works really well. So when, you know, in Scrivener, when you, what do they call it, compile in Scrivener, yeah. when you can compile to vellum. Now you can compile to a vellum file, but you can't do that in the Windows version yet. So that that's the sort of magical solution that brings it all together. Um, but but in, in actual fact, I often um, I bring in I'm bringing in files from Word usually because my my typical experience is that I write in Scrivener, I export to Word, which goes to my editor. The final version comes back from editor in Word, so I generally imported Word to Vellum, and 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 it's beautiful because it finds all the bits, the headings, and everything like that, and just splits the whole thing up. But I've now done, I've just done over the weekend in in about half an hour a seven pack omnibus edition in in Vellum, and um, I agree with you. I struggled with the parts bit you know, the volumes of the parts bit. But when you get the hang of it, it's an absolute breeze. You know, you're whizzing stuff all over the place and and, um, and it really is very easy. But I struggled with it at first too. You know, you've got, dare I say it, you've got to read the instructions, haven't you? Yeah, well, the trouble was the, the instructions, um, once you know to look at the box set bit, it's relatively straightforward. Though I think if you, I don't think I could put my book in a box set because <laughs> I've already used the volumes and the parts sections, and there doesn't seem to be a nesting that's possible on that. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't really want to jinx it by trying <laughs> anyway. Um, no, don't, don't worry about that, but it's um, at least you've sorted it out anyway. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I'm going to go back and redo all my fiction books uh, eventually, uh, including some um, – I've got the three original time travel novellas. I'm probably going to compile them as a kind of a, a, a compendium for a paperback version for the first time of that because it just looks so much nicer than the uh, than what you, whatever you can do from Scrivener. Even I mean, Scrivener doesn't Scrivener does an all right job, but it looks a bit ugly in places. And there are some things it just can't, um, like um, tables of content, uh, not tables of contents, like t- some. 
bullet point lists. If you do bullet point lists in a particular way in Scrivener, they don't work properly in ebook. Uh, but like they picked up perfectly fine by Vellum. So um, there are lots of little fiddly things Scrivener does that aren't. It's not uh, primarily a formatting piece of software where Vellum is. So Vellum will make it look beautiful. I was listening to your podcast episode where you were talking through lessons that you've learned about your book launch. And um, I was quite surprised to hear that you used Cover Creator to make the cover for this book. Now, um, I think actually, dare I say it, Cover Creator, when used with caution, can actually be pretty handy. Um, but just don't use the standard templates is what I would always say to somebody. You know, don't use it out of the box. How did you get on and why did you decide to use Cover Creator rather than, you know, pay for a fancy cover? Well, I mean, I paid for the ebook cover, so the front of the book uh, is the ebook cover, is the image of that. Uh, I was just like, well, I, I bought it as a pre-book cover from De Monza, uh, and I could pay. Uh, a lot of it was just to do with timing. It was the idea of having to pay a designer and wait for them to wait come back. I thought I'd just try the cover creator, and it, and it does a reasonable job. Uh, it doesn't look terrible. Uh, there's a slight issue, which I think um, having a designer would have made a difference in that CreateSpace doesn't always, well, not CreateSpace, KDP Print doesn't always line up uh, the edges properly. Because my design has got like a, gray, a, a distinct grey edge on it, uh, <laughs> you can actually see where the, uh, the, the whether it's mistrimmed it on the book. Now, nobody's actually complained about that. I know it exists as an issue. Um, but uh, that's kind of – because I think a, a, a designer would be able to kind of make the cover grey into a white background so it wouldn't be as noticeable. Um, but that's the only real issue I've had with a cover designer is that with my particular image I've used for the front cover image, it's obvious where it's it's not really printed the books properly because uh, – Create space. It doesn't produce like perfect books. It produces pretty good quality books, but they're not never perfect, as far as I can tell. And they always vary from copy to copy. And uh, did you? Uh, so you went into KDP Select this time with your paper. You weren't able to use Create Space. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I created this uh, directly from KDP Print. Um, how, did you, how did you get on with that? Because you'd have done your others in Create Space, wouldn't you? I think it's a lot easier to use <laughs> KDP Print, mm. to be honest. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's good. Um, that, yeah. An option I like on KDP Print, which probably was available in CreateSpace, but wasn't as useful, is that you can now order um, publisher copies of the book uh, to be delivered via Amazon. I know you could do it via CreateSpace before, but because CreateSpace was a US company, you couldn't send them to like a UK address. Uh, what I've been using in terms of, because I can't be, I can't be fussed to go and carry a suitcase full of books with me to conferences or go to the US and get So what I generally do is I use Amazon's lockers. You know, you can pick you can pick up packages in Amazon locker and they give you a code and you go in and you're like... So, for example, when I went to Nashville, um, I pre-ordered four copies of this book to pick up at an Amazon locker in, in Nashville. Um and you can do that with the publisher copies as well. The only trouble with the publisher copies tend to be they're at, they're at cost price um, rather than paying the retail price, uh, even though you're going to get 
the royalties at the retail price, but it's still going to be worse deal than if you're just getting the publishing one. The only issue with the publishing ones is they tend to take ages. They take it like an extra like three or four days to arrive as opposed to just the retail ones. And I'm not entirely sure why, but that is a nice innovation, I think, in the KDP print realm. It's a lot easier to get hold of copies of your book than create space. I've got to tell you, that's ninja. That little tip there about when you're travelling abroad and you want to use those uh, Amazon lockers, that's ninja, that. Don't let that slip you by. That's very good. I like that. That's very clever. Yeah, um, well, what, what I did uh, in – when I was in March, uh, this was my fiction books, I, I basically used – on Amazon.com, I used a free – a free month of Amazon Prime so I could get the books delivered uh, or anything else I needed uh, to the Amazon lockers for free. Uh, This time I actually lost, uh, when I went to Nashville and Wichita and the like, I actually went, uh, I actually paid for a month of Amazon Prime in the US because it worked out cheaper with the delivery costs. Um, If you're getting like, the only thing I say is that uh, this particular Amazon locker that I went to in Nashville was in this really dark and dingy uh, understory car park uh so <laughs> that's the only slight thing like they aren't, aren't in the best locations they're usually in either 7-elevens or the most sleazy convenience store you can find in the u.s but you can uh uh and in nottingham where i, I picked up uh the ones in the uk that was the amazon locker was in the shopping center so that was a lot more convenient so you've got to be uh prepared to go to some interesting locations to pick up the books in the amazon lockers but it's so much easier than Having to like, especially if you haven't got a car, it's so much easier to just order the books and pick them up uh, at the location rather than like trudging around with them. I, I love that tip. I think that's great. Um, final question then in this part of the interview. Um, I do want to ask you, where are you now then? You've, you've, you've done your fiction. You've done nonfiction. As far as your author work is concerned, what's going to come next for you? Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I, I'm, I'm cheating with the whole, what they tell you to do, uh, from a kind of online business and just a general kind of, it's the like really niche or niche on a particular topic. Uh, I'm kind of cheating and I'm going, um, I'm still keeping up with like the self-publishing side of things, and I was going to try and focus on the audiobook side. Um, my suspicion is that that's not really going to go anywhere because it seems that audiobook self-publishing is a lot harder than I thought it was. So I'm probably going to end up more focusing on the social media and social media networking side of things, and I'll be developing training courses, probably doing further books about those kind of topics. Um, I've already got uh, a speaking gig at cambridge social media day where i'm talking about organic facebook but that really is just me talking about using facebook for connect connectivity uh organic facebook uh in terms of posting stuff uh isn't really that great a marketing uh technique there are about 100 other social media techniques that are better than suggesting people post stuff on their facebook page uh, at the moment uh, but there's still potential in terms of using uh, Facebook for making connections with people. So things like Facebook groups and the like, and going on and actually watching and liking other people's stuff rather than this dreadful megaphone uh, Facebook technique that's been going around. Uh, so that's kind of, but I'm playing it by ear a bit at the moment, as in I don't really know where I'm going, but I can see 
with this book. I may even do another one of these kind of books uh, about a related topic or something similar, uh, maybe even about podcasting or something like that, uh, and see how that does. Now that I know what I should have done with this book. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's worked in what I wanted it the aims of the book as in giving me authority and giving me a way to get speaking gigs, get on the foot of that ladder of being able to talk at conferences about social media. So that's probably more the area I'm going to go in, but have I got a plan or have I got any real clear objective? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm still keeping going my podcast. I've changed it more to be about following people on their self-publishing journey as in well not following it's more like your show but actually helping people and so was like I, I was i was just about to call the lawyers there Tim. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but it more because it I means it's always been called begin self-publishing but it had drifted into being a bit of a marketing show so now it's very much about helping mainly people who are my mates <laughs> people <laughs> i know to self-publish their books uh, and i've got a few other people because uh, it's kind of a nice way to kind of rather than having just one interview with somebody it's kind of like you have one interview and talk to them about their book idea and then you take and the next interview you're taking them through you want to talk about their book plan and then so that's kind of how i'm changing the show uh and one of the ideas behind that is then i can offer consulting and coaching people for helping people to self-publish their books as well so that's another area that i'm obviously exploring um while i'm not particularly poor i do need to make money at some point and uh any ultimately any kind of self-publishing or business activity you have to look at like what sort of things can i do to bring in the money uh so that's kind of where my focus is more at the moment that was tim lewis the author of social media networking how to use social media to get the job you want find love get business success and boost your travel experience Next week's guest is another take-two author when I catch up with lesbian fiction writer Claire Lydon, who's made some great breakthroughs in her self-publishing career since we last spoke. Claire is another author I met in person at the 20 Books event earlier on this year, and it's taken me this long to get her booked in, so I'm really looking forward to that catch-up chat. I'll be back with another edition of Paul's Podcast Diary on Saturday. Until then, have a great week of writing. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week. <laughs>